Hej och välkomna till prestationspodden. Jag heter Caroline Norbelli och jag driver den här podden för att sprida kunskap om stress. Jag gör det här också för att ta reda på ja, hur lever man i den här världen och mår bra. Vill eh, ni ha mina gästers bästa tips ifrån, eh, ifrån de olika avsnitten så råder jag dig att prenumerera på mitt nyhetsbrev på carolinnorbeli.com Jag hoppas att det är bra med er. Jag sitter här på Yogamana och det är väldigt glad över. Det är jag alltid. Men det är någon energi här som är helt fantastisk. Den är så tyst och det går inte att beskriva. Alltså alla utmattade borde testa deras klasser. Bara att vara i den här energin är så härlig. Jag har intervjuat Neo Morton och han, vi pratar om att vara sig själv. Och jag vill nämna några ord om det innan avsnittet sätter igång. För att det är ju någonting jag tror på väldigt mycket. Att vara sig själv är liksom nyckeln till både läkning- det är nyckel till att ha mindre stress. Det är nyckel till framgång också. Och det tror jag att det är något vi inte tror. Vi tror att vi ska vara någonting annat för att det ska gå bra. Att det som vi är inte duger. Och jag är ett jättebra exempel på det. Och jag funderade lite över det själv och bara, herregud vad jag höll på. Alltså, ja, innan jag då var coach så... Jobbar jag i reklambranschen, det vet vissa ni, eh, som lyssnar. Men eh, i eh, min början där, det var ju helt sjukt. Jag ville vara art director för att min man, eller nej, gud, min för detta pojkvän, oj, viktigt, för detta pojkväns eh, mamma var grafisk designer. Jag fick programmen, jag började lära mig dem och min dåvarande pojkvän var så här men du är ju så kreativ, du måste in i den här branschen. Ja, jag kunde knappt programmen och det här är så sjukt. Men för att jag är ju, som ni vet, som lyssnar ofta och kanske följer mig på Instagram, jag är långt ifrån en millimetermänniska. Jag är så långt ifrån det man kan tänka sig. Jag älskar de stora penseldragen. <laughs> och jag ska inte befinna mig i sådana här sammanhang. Där det ska bli, vara här, korrekt. Eh, mycket fingerfärdighet och sådär. Men då tyckte <laughs> min dåvarande kille att jag skulle eh, söka ett jobb på en byrå. Eller han kände några som behövde en originalare. Och en originalare är ju den som sätter eh, det grafiska. Alltså gör det arbetet så att till exempel om man gör en broschyr. Så är det de som lägger in allt som ska vara. Och det är ju extremt viktigt att det är rätt och rakt och sådär. Men jag, jag var inte rädd för någonting. Det, <laughs> det kanske är min styrka dock. Men jag för jag... Eh, Åkte dit. De var ju jättekola och jättetrevliga. Och, alltså du vet som det är på en reklambyrå. Satte mig där och jag fick lite uppgifter. Men jag tror att liksom, jag åstadkom ju ingenting. 
efter en vecka när jag hade varit där och suttit och flyttat, eh, flyttat saker fram och tillbaka. Alltså jag kunde knappt programmen. Ändå så var jag så envis att jag skulle in i det här eh, reklambranschen. Eh, nej men jag kommer ihåg de sa till mig när jag slutade sig. Alltså du kanske inte riktigt, de var så snälla. Du kanske inte riktigt kunde de här programmen. Men du är så trevlig. <laughs> Vi skulle gärna vilja ha dig i en annan roll i framtiden. Så snällt. Men jag gick därifrån. Jag skämdes inte. Men jag skäms nu när jag tänker tillbaka. Och så sökte jag ju in på Forsbergs. Och jag anklagade lite Forsbergs för att de faktiskt släppte in mig. Jag, alltså mina idéer är det inget fel på. Det bubblar om idéer i min hjärna hela tiden. Men alltså det här utförandet, det är ju inte jag det kunde de ha sett på mina <går> på det jag gjorde um, det var inte jag men jag kom in där och så kämpade jag på jag hade hur kul som helst för sig under själva utbildningen men, var, men det ledde ju bara till att jag hamnade till slut på ett ställe som jag var helt fel för, jag fick jobba extremt hårt för att bara passa in jag var ju livrädd för jättemånga uppgifter som jag fick och ja, jag, liksom, jag gick från ställe till ställe det blev, jag var på flera ställen men lika rädd varje gång därför jag, det var inte jag det var ju min för detta pojkvän som tyckte att jag skulle vara bra på det jag kan inte det där jag är inte intresserad av att jobba inom några mallar eller så det var, det var allting, hela den resan var ju så fel och till och med så fel att när jag hade fått min son och jag satt på kvällarna och bara svettades för att få ihop någorlunda layout på sakerna så 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 kände jag att gränsen hade nått så jag var helt slut och mattat ut mig och jag fick jag sa upp mig jag visste ingenting om att sjukskrivning för en sån sak utan jag bara återhämtade mig så gott jag kunde. Jag, liksom, så gott man kunde som småbarnsmamma. Men det var så fel. Och jag fick också söka typ tusen jobb inom reklambranschen för att bara få ett. Eller jag fick i alla fall lägga ner alldeles för mycket tid. Eh, visst, jag har ju lärt mig saker säkert. Inte för att det märks särskilt mycket på mina sociala medier. Det fanns ju inte en sociala medier då. Men... Men det hade ju varit väldigt mycket lättare om, någon, om, om jag hade förstått att min gåva är att eh, arbeta med människor. Att jag skulle coacha kanske ännu hellre kunnat ägnat eh, och blivit eh, gått någon lång utbildning eller, ah, inom det här. Så se hur fel det kan gå när man inte är riktigt vet vem man är och vad så så och hur viktigt det är och jag tror att vi förlorar varandra i relationer i, vi förlorar i så mycket på att kliva ut från oss själva och jag som sagt har väl en viss gåva att våga vara mig själv annars skulle jag inte ha den här podden eh, och kunna stå upp för varje avsnitt ja det gör jag väl inte men Nästan alla avsnitt och att jag vågar det och, och i huvud taget så är jag väl, har jag den gåvan. Jag tror att om man vill ge till sina barn 
att våga vara sig själv så är det att ge kärlek som inte är prestationsriktat. För att då växer man eh, och vågar vara sig själv till fullo och eh, kritik och sånt rinner av en lättare. Ja, det är ett väldigt viktigt ämne för allt. Att man inte är sig själv. Det är ju liksom vilken kraftansträngning. Anstränga sig själv hela tiden att vara någonting annat. Och sen på det också jobba. Nej, det, det hoppas jag att... Jag hoppas att... Ni får lite tankeställare eller inspiration av det här avsnittet. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Jag har ju öppnat upp min coaching och det kan jag för jag har utökat dagarna här och på yogamanna då. Och är det så att du vill ja, komma närmare dig själv, minska stressen, ha hjälp med prestationskrav, hitta vad du vill i livet, kanske byta jobb, så är du varmt välkommen att gå in på carolinorbelli.com och signa upp och... Jag jobbar i ett program där vi börjar med att identifiera problem, riktning, mål, hinder och ta reda på vem är du och hur önskar du leva. Men för att sen då så fortsätter vi arbeta med blockeringar, prestationskrav, rädslor, inövande mönster, gränser, tankar och 
såklart stresshantering. Och det gör vi för att vi, jag, jag vill hjälpa dig att bygga upp ett självledarskap. Där du kan skapa nya visioner för ett hållbart liv och må bra utifrån dig själv. Så är du intresserad av det så är du som sagt välkommen att gå in på carolinnorbeli.com I maj, den 25 maj till den 28 så har jag mitt retreat, vandring och yogaretreat i Deja. Det finns fyra platser kvar, maximum fyra platser kvar. Och det är otroligt härligt. Vi har en kock som lagar hälsosamt mat. Och Deja i sig är helt fantastiskt. Och våren där, den är ju sprudlande. Det är ju bara så här blommor överallt. Och så vackert. Så det får ni inte missa. Gå in på carolinnorbeli.com och gör en intresseanmälan. För det här avsnittet så har jag intervjuat på engelska. Och ha lite överseende. Jag övar. Snart kommer det fler intervjuer utomlands. Jag är väldigt långsam. Ni kan ju öka upp hastigheten. Jag har nämligen intervjuat en jätteinspirerande person som heter Neo Moriton. Och han har jobbat inom tech. Han har gjort en lång resa med sig själv. Och idag jobbar han med människor och företag. Och det som fick mig att bli jätteintresserad av honom är att han har skrivit den här boken Being Real for Change. Um, och för er som känner till Urban Om så är det även han som har startat det. Lyssna till Neo Moriton. Welcome to prestationspodden Neo. Hey, thank you. Nice to be here Caroline. How was your morning? Ah, it was, uh, I'm just looking at the little photo of my daughter that I put on my desk. Uh, it was wonderful being with her, holding her hand, taking her to the bus. And I got mm. a bonus kiss today. I got five instead of four. <laughs> How old is she? She's 10. Oh, that's good. Still kissing. You. <laughs> Other boys soon, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. Do you have any routines for the morning except for being with your daughter? Um, morning routines, actually, no, but I have nighttime routines. I have a mm-hmm. sense that uh, the morning starts the night before. And so uh, my morning routines have moved to the, the, the day before. That's good. What are you doing in the evening? You know, the day we have the accumulation of a lot of impressions. And what I realized was that my morning routines used to involve getting up very early or having cold showers, the kind of things you can find in in many books. But what I realized was unless we are consciously clearing the pathways for good quality sleep the night before, um, the morning is going to be affected. Um, I also thought that we're sleeping for eight hours and what a great productive time to let our subconscious and our conscious mind actually unite and feel blessed. So uh, with prayer in the evening the night before 
uh, for about five to ten minutes. Uh, it puts the eight hours-ish that I'm asleep into good productivity. So I wake up feeling very blessed. I agree with you. You have to get from work mode or life mode into something else before going to bed. Tell us, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll give you the the identity first. My name is mm-hmm. Neo. Uh, I grew up in London. I've been living in Sweden now for over 10 years. And I came here from New York. And I'm uh, slowly, slowly, slowly becoming a good student of life. Uh, but I haven't mastered that one yet. I, I thought for a while I was a good teacher, but I... I got rid of that persona and and now I'm dedicated to becoming a great student. What brought you to Sweden? <laughs> Existence. <laughs> Existence uh-huh. in in the form of meeting my partner in uh in India and um we we fell in love and uh, had a few options to move to my home in New York, to move to my birthplace London or Sweden this cold, dark place in Scandinavia and yeah. Sweden won. So uh, before okay. we knew it, here we were. And uh, that's what brought me to Sweden. It's, it's, uh, and it's very lovely in February. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I love the gravel in the shoes <laughs> and, and the, the fresh air. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what are you working with? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, you know, I say to people that before 2001, I was working in tech um, in Silicon Valley, and I focused a lot on strategy and felt lousy. Um, after 2001, until now, I focused on uh, state of being to help other people feel good. And of course, working on myself feeling good also. And I felt better. I felt better, but still not great. And then um, just recently, I wrote a book and and launched a tech company called Microshift, which both both projects are wholly focused on helping people feel better. And I noticed that I actually start to feel better myself in that gift and that offering for helping people along their way too. So what I'm working on is is that just spreading a little bit now helping people. Hmm. And Urban Om? Urban Om! Urban <laughs> Om. Here we are. Urban Om is a center for, for transformation. And um, it was uh, something we started some years back. Um, it was um, a, an original dream and vision to bring people together and to create what we call a place to be that people could be themselves 100% and all that they were meant to be. And, um, yeah, it was small at the beginning and started off with a, you know, I remember our first uh, yoga meditation classes. We were we were jumping for joy if more than, you know, nine people joined. It was uh, a celebration when we said, well, there's double digits, there's 10 people. And then at its peak before Corona, we literally had queues of people trying to get into the studio and, and attend yoga classes uh, so yes, Urbanom is um, alive and um, and is a real heart project, a real soul project. Um, mm. So we're we're really proud. My partner and I are really proud of of what we've contributed there, and the community is amazing. 
Have you ever had, uh, I mean, when you were in Silicon Valley, did you feel burned out or were you near, were you? I'm not sure, I'm not sure what, what, what burnout, I'm not sure if I was, but I definitely had what I call a sensory conflict. Um, And by that, I mean that the vision I had for how I wanted to live and how I wanted to be with other people didn't marry with how I was. And there was a, there was a conflict. There was, there was a lack of integrity. So my vision was obviously as most people who were practicing yoga in that time over 20 years ago, we wanted to feel good and do good, but I didn't feel good and I wasn't doing good. And I think that that created uh, a seed of, you could call it burnout or depression or something um, but I was one of the lucky ones. Um, I, I caught it early and stopped everything. I stopped work and moved to Australia to dedicate my entire life to yoga, meditation, and therapy. Uh, it was meant to be for one year. I thought that I could do it all in one year, uh, but I'm still working on it 20 years later. The journey continues. So, um, no, I had a life crisis in the sense that you know my, my vision didn't match with my actions, and I call that a sensory conflict, uh, being out of integrity. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, I'm still still arriving in who I am and how I am. And uh, yes, yeah, work in progress. Uh, what was people's reaction? People were supportive. Uh, you know, it, it, it was at the time when 9-11 happened. So the world was completely oh. upside down. I was, I was meant to be on a plane that morning. I had a ticket book from San Francisco to New York City. Um, and got a text message from my mother at like 0600 San Francisco. It was 0900 New York and 1400 London. She was in London. She said, are you flying today? And I was like, yeah, I am. I'm just, you know, waking up on my way to the airport. I'm going to New York. And she said, have you seen the news? And I was like, no. So I flicked on the television in the hotel that we were in and, you know, kind of blinked open my eyes. And the first plane had just hit the Twin Towers. And the second plane, you know, I was there, your jaw dropped seeing it live as it was happening. And and so there was no way of getting on that plane that day. And we were stranded um, in in San Francisco for five days, not able to get out. So the whole world was upside down. And many people were reevaluating their lives. And and Mm. our choice was to just move and do yoga and, and live on a beach. And so it wasn't really a big surprise to anyone because at that point, anything was possible oh. you know it was a real opening i think for many people to make a big shift in their lives uh, so we did we took a, a long holiday a sabbatical mm-hmm. and uh, how was that for you that was really life-changing that was really life-changing mm-hmm. i remember arriving to byron bay australia uh, we went via Austria, my, my girlfriend at the time. We had a, a yellow Labrador that was with us in, in Austria and London. Um, and then we put the dog into quarantine for one month, which I would probably never do again, but we're glad we did it. He came with us. Um, and I remember walking down the streets of Byron Bay, like other people were in bare feet, right? So I was like, oh, I'll take my shoes off. And um, so we were all of a sudden walking bare feet in Byron Bay, living 20 meters from the beach. Uh, after one month, our dog came out of quarantine and we were doing yoga meditation for six to eight hours a day and the rest of the time walking our dog on the beach. And so it was a radical shift. And it was actually one of the first times in my life that I felt safe. Um, and mm. I hadn't realized that I'd felt fearful up until that point. I grew up in London 
it wasn't the easiest time in London. I didn't live in the most uh, easiest of places and then lived in Hong Kong and traveled a lot in China and and just grew up with this feeling of being alert, but never made a big deal out of it. And when I got to Byron Bay, all of a sudden, everybody is chilled out. And I realized the first time in my life, I actually felt safe. And that was a, a big wake up call. And it was the beginning of like, well, what about feeling not just safe, but feeling good, feeling well? Um, but that was the beginning of a long journey. I, I realized feeling safe and well is not so easy. It's not just a flick of a switch. Did you practice in yoga before you went to that trip or was that your first meeting with yoga and meditation? Oh, you know, uh, yoga was, uh, I remember practicing yoga in the 90s in London. And at that time, you know, people were still wearing orange clothes and um, <laughs> burning yeah. incense, which I wasn't sure if it was some kind of drug or not. You know, I was new to that. Um, mm. So yoga, yoga was, was at that point not mainstream at all. Uh, it trickled its way from India to London and eventually, you know, uh, LA, uh, LA yoga, which I would call hot vinyasa and vinyasa yoga and all of the kind of like the, the yoga stars in the, in the 2000 era made its way yeah. into Europe. But the yoga that I accessed was orange clothes um, and it was very, very traditional Satyananda and Shivananda. And I would go yeah. there as a refuge. It was my sneaky um, kind of like uh, exit from business into finding mm. peace and solace in a yoga studio. But I thought it was a bit weird and I didn't really quite fit in. And then, of course, it started to become mainstream and a bunch mm. of us were on that on that wave, riding that wave mm. uh, in 2000, you know. Uh, but when you worked, um, what was not really you? Why didn't you really like it? Where you were you know it was really simple um i was discovering so many things um so so i think in life you know we're either operating out of memory and i think the the, the risk is the older we get we are um starting to become more set in our ways because we've lived a long life we can look back and have a reference for how we did things before um, so as as we as we become more mature, I think that our journey is to keep opening our mind and become more creative. But when we're in our twenties, we don't have that much life experience. So so much is ahead of us, and it's 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 exciting in the one way. It's exhilarating, um, but it's also there's an uncertainty as to how to step into these big shoes. And I was stepping into really big shoes. I was working for tech companies that had huge valuations and working for a boss who was totally inspiring and a brilliant man, and he expected great things from me. So the expectation was really high, and I couldn't fulfill that, right, or didn't quite know how. So there was an inherent stress in that. Mm. And when there's a stress, you know, the, the one-hour yoga once a week, didn't really balance the drinking and the partying that I was doing to get out of my head to deal with the stress. So the biggest thing that didn't work for me in my work life before the new life was that I was uh, I was dealing with stress through taking on new addictions that got me out of my head into a temporary high. And, and you know, growing up in London in the 90s, obviously all sorts of things were very accessible uh, and being in and around San Francisco. So that was my inability to manage my life. And I just wanted to find a way to not think about it. So I would drink myself into oblivion like many people did, but it mm. became 
became a problem for me because I was trying to marry the bliss I felt through yoga where I didn't take anything with this, you know, fake bliss I felt through doing some kind of drugs or alcohol that would make me feel terrible the day after. And and they were like a violation. The two parts didn't fit anymore in life. And it's like the good and bad force. You know, if you think about the light and the dark in Star Wars, you know, the dark side was so strong, pulling me into this like money and drugs, alcohol, partying. And there was this little candle of light called yoga. And eventually I chose the candle and, and made that light a little bit bigger over time. Mm. Uh, what do you think that, uh, uh, Swedish people are stressed. I mean, the out there's so many burnouts. I think there's two things, um, and this is just my perspective. And, and firstly, anyone who is um, is experiencing that, my heart goes out uh, fully because uh, one thing I've learned working as a therapist now for 20 years is that everybody has their own story. Everybody deals with it in their own way and mm. nobody else can truly understand what the interior world of someone else looks like. We can attempt to feel it. Uh, we can we can exercise compassion, but nobody really knows. So I don't know what one burnout is, but what I am seeing from people that I work with a lot is there's one fundamental core of what creates stress in people and that's what we call this this being out of integrity not listening sufficiently inside or acting on the insights that you gain and not living your life as a as a as an integral part of how you want to be and not speaking out with honesty um and i call that the solution being real so you know being real is towards yourself being true to yourself which takes a lot of courage but being real also to others so that eventually if you can live a life where you say what you mean, you mean what you say and you're not mean when you say it and you do what you say you're going to do, there is an integrity and with integrity comes dignity, self-respect, self-love, self-care. Um, but this is not a one-off happening. You can have glimpses of this through yoga, meditation retreats and therapy but what I've realized is being real is what we call micro training. It's something that needs to happen every single day to repair the inner trust bank, the integrity that we've lost over the years. Um, so that was a kind of long, long and mixed answer to your question. I no, think it's for a burn, good burnout, you know, be real, be real, mm. be real, be honest, be true and live your life according to that. 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, as a coach and as a human being, I meet a lot of people who has, they have problem being real. They are really good at their work, or they have, uh, they have real relationships which works, but maybe, but they are not happy. And I can tell they have problem to, to, to know how to be real. How, what, what are your advice for them? How, how could they have, how is it possible to find, find what's real? So um, if we look back into uh, childhood and adult development, um, mm. being real or the ability to, 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 to discern what's real over um, what's not is not really developed in us as human beings until later on in life, around post-20. And mm-hmm. it's linked to the, the prefrontal cortex and the frontal lobes, our, our, our executive function, the ability to reason. The problem is that as young adults, we put being right over being real. We, we almost take the ability to reason too far. And I think in Sweden, um, the ability to reason is extremely strong. You know, yeah. even I saw at Arlanda once, you know, Sweden is a state of minds, minds. And I was like, whoa. What I love about this is that in Sweden, there's a deep sincerity. People are very straight. They're very direct. And there is an ability to reason and see mm. the logical perspective. What I've noticed, uh, my, my partner and her family run a center called Baravara that's been running for 25 years. Uh-huh. Um, and so... So we've seen, you know, 10,000 people uh, on this this long, courageous hero's journey, basically, mm. to put being real over being right. And the missing link is the heart connection. Now, Swedes are some of the most heartful people I've ever met. The problem is they keep it quite private. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh. so you've got the, the 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 development of reason which comes later on in life and if you journey back in life you know zero to seven we're basically sensory sponges there is no ability to reason whatsoever as kids we're looking at the facial expressions of our parents and we're responding to the tone of voice and we're actually responding to the state of being of our guardians and we are sensory sponges we are wide open okay and the bad news is that we don't remember any of that either right Mm -hmm. then you've got this period seven to fourteen the kind of peripubescent 
areas. And you've got the, the onset of hormones. And hormones can come early or they can come in the, the, the teenagers, 13 onwards. But there is this hormonal overload. So you don't really have this, this sense of what's yours and what's not. You're completely confused because the brain is going through this, this fireworks explosion. Your bones are growing. You're just spurting up. So you go through this period of confusion during um, um, teenage years. But you're not without conscience. You have conscience. And so what happens is you act in a way that's out of integrity with what you want to be, but you can't do much about it because your hormones are going wild, but you have a conscience. On some level, you don't feel good about that, which makes you feel a bit worse. Then from 18 onwards, we get this sprint of neurological development where our, our ability to reason kicks in. But we are a little bit played with regrets for how we've been in our teenage years and we cannot at that point put real over right so we become invested in being the way we are being right because society says I, 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 <laughs> I, I think I see many people like that and, and myself I mean how I was as a teenager is embarrassing so I try to keep uh, I try to be something mm. <laughs> which is more normal now so you're absolutely true. right you know, uh-huh. teenage, I love that, the embarrassment or quam, uh, shame. Mm. We shame. carry shame that, mm. that we were confused. We don't know how it went in there, but we're left with a feeling of how we were that's a bit shameful. And this is one of the main reasons that teenagers drink so much. So the phrase I had on Friday nights with my friends in London when I grew up was, let's get out of our heads. Because guess where shame lives? Basically in the mind. So we use whatever we can to get intoxicated, to get out of our minds, which makes us feel worse, and we become this compound feel worse effect. And then in our 20s, if we're lucky, the light bulb goes off. Maybe we go to a yoga class. Maybe we go to Baravara. Maybe we meet a coach like you, someone who's inspiring, who brings not just the ability to reason, but someone who has compassion so that for once maybe in our life, we feel felt by someone. We feel seen, we feel understood. And that can take us on a path of eventually putting real over right, but it needs training. So the spark and the light is very important. Um, so I think that's at the root of burnout. Uh, uh, I agree with you fully after been talking to over 200 people. It, it, this is uh, to leave yourself and have like a space from yourself uh, during days and also pre- have a lot of things to do and uh, responsibilities. It gets too much for us. Um, it does. It does, especially if when we do what we need to do and we're not there. And, mm. and, and now we open into a, another subject called connection. Mm. As human beings, we have an incredible capacity to do a lot ourselves or inspire others to do things with us. And let's call that collaborative leadership, right? But if we're not connected, then we're heavily into doing. Our being is being neglected, and that becomes exhausting. Mm. So the question is then, how can we continuously or at regular intervals during our day get reconnected so that we're not doing more, but we're doing more of what matters most 
and we're doing what's meaningful for just ourselves and the loved ones and the society around us. So I'm not sure that the doing less movement and slowing down, I'm not sure. I actually say do what matters most and speed that up, do more of that and Mm. get connected at every step along the way. You know, I say that it's like, David Allen meets Dalai Lama. David Allen became famed for this getting things done, GTD methodology, be efficient, get things done. But people became completely exhausted. They became human doings. Dalai Lama, on the other hand, says human beings do less. But that didn't work for most people either who live in the West, who come from perhaps a a background of their families were productive, their families may be white-collar, blue-collar workers. We are in a society where people do things. We earn our livelihoods. So simply to do nothing was too far out. Mm. And I call that the path of meditation versus the path of manifestation. And we've created a separation between the two. I did it. I went from Silicon Valley to effectively the monastery. And when I was in the monastery, I was longing to come back into life. Then when I came back into life, I was longing for the monastery. Mm-hmm. So Urban Om was created actually as an example, as an experiment, as a laboratory. How do we create the urban of living in a city with the silence of Om and have them unite? Because people I find living in the West want to find that sweet spot. How can I live in a life of manifestation, of creativity, of having a family, doing what I love, but have that quality of meditation. So Dalai Lama meets David Allen. It's not just getting things done or not doing anything. It's getting the right things done and being in a connected state when you do it. Mm. Many people, I mean, they they like what they do, but they, they are scared when they perform. I mean, they are scared at work. They're scared go uh, when they have... Uh, to speak in in front of audience, they're scared. Ah, I meet a lot of people like that. Uh, why do you think? Wh- wh- why are they scared? So yeah, so fear. You know, fear a is a is a is a really important um, primal feeling. You know, mm-hmm. when we're scared of something we're about to do. We're, we haven't exercised what's called our prospective intelligence, looking forward. All we look at is back, our retrospective intelligence. And the last time we talked in public, we felt <laughs> bad. We haven't established a new neural pathway. So A, we're limiting ourselves. B, the amygdala that kicks in for fear is a really important primal reaction. We have to acknowledge the fear, like, wow, this is fear. Why? It's not about the public speaking, for example. It's about Mm. the unknown. I Mm. don't know what's going to come, and therefore I'm a bit scared. So two ways to deal with that. Acknowledge the fear and imagine what the future might look like. Feel the feeling of what that feeling might feel like. And the thing to short-circuit the whole thing is, here's the problem. Whenever we're feeling excessive fear, we make it a story. Fear as a primal feeling is okay, but when it becomes identified, it becomes a story. We are becoming obsessive, obsessive, self-centric. We become obsessed with ourselves. It becomes me, 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 me. And Mm -hmm. one way to short-circuit that is to think of someone else. So if you're public speaking, imagine one or two people in the audience who might be moved by your heartful connection and have a vision for how you want them to feel, Mm. as well as including the fear, the inspiration, and the passion for what you feel. What you end up with is a rainbow of feelings 
sunlight yeah. plus rain, the rain of the tears and the sunlight of a new dawn. When those two come in together, it's like an explosion of consciousness. So mm -hmm. we have to include other people. The mm -hmm. problem is we obsess too much about ourselves. Yeah, yeah. You get caught up with yourself, sort of, in a bad way. And um, uh, I love your book title, uh, In Being Real for a Change. Uh, tell, I, you've been talking about being real, but tell us how come you wrote that book and what is it about? Because I haven't read it yet. I want to, though. Yeah, thank you. Um, it was it was actually inspired by Issa, my partner, and I when we were uh, in, in in India and um, before our daughter was born. And we said, if there's one thing we can give to each other, it's being real with one another. And um, a light bulb went off, and 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 we said, oh, being real for a change wouldn't that be a great manifesto? Because you know. Most of the time, we're not. We're putting right over real. And um, because right, you know, someone wins, someone loses, whereas real, everybody transforms. And that's a scary place to be. That, 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 that there's, there's a vulnerability. There's an unknown there. And, and it's better uh, for us as humans with our limited mindset to stay with what we know. And what we know is our story, and our story is not real. It's been concocted in our minds. Um, so it takes a big dollop of courage to step out of our comfort zone and actually start to live a life that's more real. Um, and so when I wrote the book, I looked back at my own life and, and, and took an inventory and, and looked looked at a few key phases where where I think other people could probably relate to. Um, when I was younger, I didn't feel confident. Um, it was hard for me to focus at school. I was intelligent, but not a very good student. And um, also was caught up on image. Um, I was I was conscious of being liked and, and being attractive when I got into my teenage years. And I was trying to get out of who I was because I wanted to be someone else. I wanted to be the projection of what people thought of me. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's me what too. you could call performing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, A lot of people, uh, and, and that, mm -hmm. maybe that's what we call performing, which is basically mm -hmm. trying to be someone other than ourselves. That's mm -hmm. what performing is. Mm -hmm. And I didn't hear any kind of uh, language of authenticity, be the author of your life, you know, be yourself. Everybody else is taken. You're a snowflake. There is enough snowflakes on the snow mountain for everyone. I didn't get any of that. You know, I, I grew up on a path of you should go to school, go to university and earn money and do good and maybe have a family. There was no room for originality. There was no room for artistry in life as well. Um, there was a conveyor belt. So I was basically ended up, you know, in this boxed in place and was dying just to break free of that. And like I say, my doorway to freedom was drugs and alcohol, which I think a lot of people's is too. Um, and then what, what, what really scared me actually, and, and when the title of the book came was that then I, I changed my image and I became like the image of a guru, but it also wasn't real. I was doing yoga. I was like a black belt in yoga, black belt coach, black belt therapist. 
But it also wasn't real. It's was just another identity. I had just transposed one for the other mm. because deep down I felt out of integrity. I hadn't actually done the deep digging work of what is it to be real and who am I without the white clothes or the shaved head or the long hair or the beads? Who am I? Mm. And that was a painful path because I thought that going into the light and doing more yoga would solve everything, and it didn't. So mm. after after a long time, 14 years of 100% dedicated search, it's all I did. And meanwhile, by the way, I did what other yogis aspire to, and a lot of us did in early 2000, uh, mid-2000, was start a charity. You had yogis like Shiva Ray, Baron Baptiste, and of course, the Indian yogis created a not-for-profit organization to help other people. So I did that too. In 2007, in Manhattan, my my part, my co-founder and I, we started an organization called Reach Within that served uh, children living in orphanages in the West Indies. And we would commute every month to be with kids in orphanages and work mm -hmm. with them. We developed an incredible yoga program, yoga therapy for kids. We partnered with Harvard University, Harvard, Harvard Health International to to make sure that we were on track with our evaluative criteria, with a medical school, you know, like. We did everything right, but it was another image. Hmm. It was um, called the image of of not just feel good, but do good too. Hmm. But it wasn't real because the person that I went to bed with at night was me. And I was still full of this thing called the ego that yoga talked about. But I wasn't able to find it in Trikonasana, in Downward Dog, in Vinyasa, in Ashtanga. Somehow, the drug of yoga made me feel good for an hour or two during and one or two hours after. But the pain of who I was when I was stressed or feeling insecure or scared would rear its ugly head and take over my life. And there I was thinking, oh my God, Silicon Valley gave me riches in one way. That didn't make me happy. Yoga gave me riches in another way. I felt well momentarily, and that didn't work. So I had to go back to the roots, which was the kind of work that we do at Baravara. I well, went cool. on an incredible... Did you say, uh, sorry, did you say it was your wife having Baravara? Oh, yes, Isa cool. and her I'm... mother, Gayan, and Lars, Lars uh -huh. Knudson, uh -huh. they, uh, they founded Baravara 25 years ago. Oh, so, I love to go um, there someday. <laughs> it's an incredible place. And, and mm -hmm. for me, the inner engineering or the inner restructuring uh, that's talked about in yoga, it's called Svadhyaya, you know, self-inquiry, self-study. But it's, it's, it's glossed over in yoga around the world nowadays in reciting scriptures or chanting mantras, which I really love. But what I needed, because I think I was really screwed up, I really needed some deep and dark weeding, weeding and replanting flowers. And that wasn't done in one retreat. It was done over a period of five to eight years of intense uh, group psychotherapy. So I'm deeply grateful to that. What it gave me was not the feeling I'm done, mm -hmm. but the feeling that my life is still in progress. Um, I'm also deeply grateful to the 12-step program. I went into a 12-step recovery program 15 years ago. Uh, for alcohol and addiction, and and that is the most um, extensive, uh, loving, uh, free process that I think has helped millions of people have a spiritual awakening and be very real along the way. Yeah, uh, and that was at Baravara as well. 
the alcohol. Oh, 12 no. step program oh, 12 I steps. started. Sorry, sorry, I didn't hear. Okay, yeah, yeah, 12, yeah. 12 step. 12 oh, step I program heard I started. So much. Mm. Uh, I started in Marbella, Spain, and then carried on in uh, New York. And uh, nowadays with Zoom, my my 12-step meetings, I join in LA uh, on mm. Saturday nights when I can, because mm. uh, uh, I just I just love the realness of the international groups of people in recovery. They're just there's there's a lot of angels out there who are in service and helping people on their path to recovery. Too, like my God, these people are real real yogis. It's incredible. Um, do you feel what you work with now with companies and with your book and is, are you more real or are you um, are you still having an image you know um, God gifted me with um, a body uh, mm-hmm. so I sit in a in a nearly two meter body uh, God gifted me with a voice And God gifted me with a passion that packs into my words. Um, so I speak with with perhaps a degree of intensity and and, and passion. Um, is that real? Yeah, real looks original. You know, um, real doesn't have to look like a quietly spoken person. That's the <laughs> image that I was trying to portray. So okay. um, am I performing? I don't know. I'm on a mission. I'm yeah. on a mission, and mm-hmm. I want to speak it out, and 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 that's actually the DNA. That's always been my character. You know, people around me have said that I like to retreat and take my quiet time, which I do. It can be very personal and private, but there's a part of me in my character, my DNA, that is just oozing, and so um, so that's real. That's real. Um, can you notice when you meet someone, maybe someone? A strong character you look up to that you shrink as a person, or have you noticed that that you can like change your ways with when you're among others? Yeah, I like that. I, I really like that. So, um, uh, what one one particular uh, image comes to mind? I met this guy, uh, therapist, uh, same height as me, uh, Spanish, gorgeous. Big and, and and all of a sudden I was like, "Whoa, this is a really gorgeous, powerful person." And for a moment, I felt what you're saying. There's a part of me that shrank. I felt intimidated, but the difference was that I said to him, "Wow, in your presence, I notice I shrink. You're an awesome person. Who are you?" And he just opened up. He said, wow, brother, thanks for sharing that. He said, finally, I feel a bit the same with you. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. So the difference is feel it and express it. You know, being real should be tough on you, mm-hmm. not the other person. If it's tough on the other person, that's not being real. That's a projection. So I could have said to this guy, you know, wow, who do you think you are? Can't you keep it down a little bit? Can't you keep your energy down? But tough on me was like, Dude, I feel intimidated in your presence, and I notice this, and I just want to bring that into our relational field right now because mm. I'm all about being honest and real. That's tough on me, mm. not him. Mm. That would be that will surprise people though <laughs> in the meeting or whatever. But you know, the greatest artists um, when you're when you're in their presence, there mm. is a degree of um, that the heart flutters because. 
you know, true artists are in their pure authorship, what they're saying, what they're channeling. There's an originality. It's not rehearsed, you know. And, of course, that might surprise people, but it actually might surprise people for the good. You know, being real for a change is like if you're real and you're connected in your heart, actually things around you might change in a big way. 
by others, not seeing someone we left or uh, maybe that's the reason why we're scared of being ourselves because it's quite vulnerable when you look inside. Can, can you agree with that? I think that's beautiful. I think that um, you know, we expect we expect a lot from children. Uh, we expect them to, if we go back to the brain development, we expect mm-hmm. them to better reason, right? And they can't. Um, and, and we expect them to reason like adults, um, but they can't. But adults, our expectation of ourselves is is to include the child. You've been every year that you've grown up, you've been a zero, one-year-old, you've been a two-year-old, three-year-old. And so I think what's transforming is what I hear you're saying is the inclusion of who you are and how you've been all the way back to the beginning of your life. And so you're right. Being real has to include first what is being felt in this moment. And you're going to feel the some parts of your past, meaning the memories and feelings you had as a kid, uh, the confusion of a teenage, the striving as a young adult. Um, and, and yeah, the inclusivity, the wholeness of being real is to really um, acknowledge and feel that. And the key to that is connection. Mm. The key to it is connection, right? If we're not connected to ourselves, it's very hard to acknowledge the feelings that we have. And to get connected, the good thing is it's binary. You're either connected or you're not. And if we took a moment right now and said, I'm going to get more connected or I'm going to get connected, notice what happens mostly for people is we probably take a a breath, we probably slow down, we probably gently close our eyes, and then we get connected. And this is why I feel that yoga has been such a gift to the world because people have more of a, a sensory coherence. So we go from sensory conflict, what you feel is different to what you say, People don't perceive your words because they're noticing different expressions or different subcommunication. Mm. But when you bring a sensory coherence that you're connected to your feelings, you have a passion and a vision to be real, and that real is tough on you, not the other. Mm. You start to align what you feel with what you think and what you do and say or write, and then people feel you. They may not agree with you. And your job is not for people to agree with you. Your job is to be lovingly kind and compassionate and to live your life out fully, 100%. Your vibe will attract your tribe, and you don't need the tribe to be 7 billion people. So, yes, inclusivity of all the feelings going on inside of you, connecting to that, then align feelings, thoughts, actions, words, writing, and live according to that. You know, hmm. I love this word author, author, authorship, authenticity, authority. Authority is not forceful. It's aligned. Hmm. Hmm. Oh. Uh, thank you so much, Neil. This was a very interesting uh, conversation and also a subject which I've been talking a lot about in this podcast because uh, – I, it's so important, um, and uh, I will read your book. And have you a recommendation for me, um, someone to interview in the podcast? 
perhaps your wife. <laughs> yeah, I, it's exactly what I was thinking. Ah, okay, Lisa, I think, good. I think exactly. I think ah. uh, I think you'd really enjoy meeting with her, especially yeah. on the inner child work. Yes. And and she likes to talk about the super ego and, and the inner judge. I think you're going to enjoy sure. that with her. Oh, get get oh, please get me connected with her. And I will. Because I, oh, I, I tried somehow. I tried to find. Bora bora. Uh, I always been interested in you. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, you, yeah. Good. We uh, will do that. Uh, okay. Thank you very much. And if people want to buy your book, where should they? In Sweden, the best is Adlibris or Bookus. Okay. Or uh, yeah, Adlibris Bookus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and you can get it online, uh, Adlibris uh, website or Bookus website. Are you on Instagram or? Urban Om is on Instagram. Yeah, Yeah. Mm? Yeah. Urban Om Stockholm. Mm. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day and weekend. You too. Thank you so much. Tack till alla ni som lyssnar. Ni som vill göra mig extra glad, gå in på iTunes och lämna en recension. Jag blir överlycklig. Så Gör det, skriv vad ni tycker om podden för att sprids den till andra. Men framförallt, ta hand om er och vi hörs nästa vecka.